0: Language is a window into human nature. It reveals how we conceptualize space and time and number and causality. But even more vividly, it's a window into our social life and our emotions. Because unlike other animals, unlike bees and birds who do it, we use words to do it. We use language to seduce and to persuade and to threaten and to promise and to negotiate. Our entire social world is negotiated with words. And when you think about how we do negotiate our social relationships, it's striking how much more complex language becomes. It's not just a question of uh, who did what to whom. Because we usually don't just blurt out what we mean, but we veil our intentions in innuendo and euphemism and doublespeak and shilly A Simple example is politeness. You're sitting at the table and you say, if you could pass the guacamole, that would be awesome. Now, when you think about it, that doesn't make much sense. It's a little bit hyperbolic, uh, but on the other hand, it sounds a lot better than give me the guacamole. In bribing, imagine a driver pulled over by a police officer this is shown often in movies. Uh, the driver doesn't say, if I give you a 50, will you let me go? The driver says, gee, I'm wondering if there is some way we could settle this here uh, without going to court and doing a lot of paperwork. Perhaps uh, when he is asked to show his driver's license, he'll hand over the wallet with a $50 bill extending uh, just so, so barely, expecting the driver to, to know that this is uh, potentially a, a bribe. A threat, another cliche from the movies. Nice story you got there. Would be a real shame if something happened to it. Seductions. People say things like, would you like to come up and see my etchings? Or want to come up for Netflix and chill? Somehow that seems much better than, um, do you want to have sex? And it would kind of cut through a lot of uh, complication if people could just blurt out what they say. Life would be a lot simpler, but people don't. Uh, solicitations for a donation. I've been to a lot of fundraising events at universities where I'm often the the bait to the donors and uh, at the uh, opportune moment the Dean doesn't say okay now it's time to give money. The Dean will say something like we're counting on you to show leadership in our campaign for the future and be a friend to the university, Uh, meaning give money. So Life would be simpler if we just said what we meant. Why don't we? This is a a puzzle that i pondered as someone who's interested in language and someone interested in human nature, and this is where they they come together. A starting point is just the the realization that when we use language, we're really doing two things. We are conveying some kind of message. Uh, I really would like the guacamole. On the other hand, we are also negotiating and ratifying our social relationship, and that dual uh, purpose of language explains why it's often so maddeningly complex in ways that often uh, lawyers have to work out in cases of extortion and bribery and sexual harassment. Uh, what did the proposition really mean? So how do we make sense of this? Well, this, the starting point is that an idea that most people have some intuitive sense of, of plausible deniability. And so a very simple case is the officer pulling the driver over because we know exactly what the costs and uh, benefits are the uh, potential cost of a bribe is that you could get arrested for bribery. The potential benefit is that you would save uh, having your license suspended and then a lot of money and a court appearance and so on. Now, if you just said, officer, if I give you 50, will you let me go? That could have a very high payoff if you were lucky enough to have a dishonest cop who would consummate the bribe and let you go on the other hand you're taking a risk at a huge penalty if it's an honest cop who would haul you in for the crime of attempting to bribe an officer so if your only two choices were to remain silent uh, or to blurt it out in so many words you'd have the opportunity of a big jackpot but also the uh, risk of a huge penalty but let's say then you kind of adjusted the level of explicitness so that just using the ordinary give and take of conversation, the officer can uh, read between the lines, catch your drift, uh, if he wanted to. If he said, gee, officer, is there some way we could uh, uh, settle, settle it here? Well, then the dishonest uh, cop could kind of sniff out the bribe beneath the innuendo, consummate it. You'd have the possibility of uh, the, the great benefit. Honest cop could make a bribery charge stick in court by the standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and so he could pretend not to hear it and uh, just write the ticket. So by calibrating your language uh, just right, you could get the potential benefit of a uh, bribing a uh, dishonest cop without the cost of bribing an honest cop. So that's a kind of explanation for why a vague indirect speech exists but it doesn't really explain why we use it so often in everyday life when we're really not in danger of being arrested an example would be imagine you want to say bribe a maitre d you show up at a hot chic restaurant on a saturday night you have no reservation let's say you try to grease the palm of the maitre d why do people in those circumstances and we know that they do don't just say if I give you a 20, will you will you seat me immediately? But they say things like, I was wondering if you might have a cancellation while holding a $20 bill, kind of in peripheral vision. Or, uh, is there any way you could shorten my weight? Or, this is a really important night for me. That That's the way people tend to do it. So they it's as if they're bribing a cop, even though it's just a maitre d'. not going to take them away in handcuffs. So what are the intangible costs and benefits that are kind of like a traffic ticket or a jail sentence, but in situations of everyday life. Well, this is where you start to learn something about human social relationships. And the uh, insight that allowed me to make sense of this came from an anthropologist named Alan Fisk, who proposed that human relationships fall into a small number of types. And we always have one in mind when we deal with another person. Communal sharing, What's mine is thine, what's thine is mine. Uh, No one keeps track. Uh, We're all friends, we're all family. It's the kind of relationship that you have with your significant other, with your kids, with your parents, with your close friends. The relationship of dominance, of authority ranking of uh, alpha male, where the boss gets to order around the subordinate, the high-ranking alpha bosses around the lower-ranking beta or gamma. And one of the reasons that we're often polite is we don't want it to seem as if we're treating someone like a factotum. Uh, or a servant. If I say, give me the guacamole, that kind of conveys the wrong message of the relationship that we have. If I say, well, that guacamole is looking pretty nice, the other person can read between the lines and the deal is consummated without you uh, invoking the relationship model of authority which you don't want uh, in the circumstance of of a friend or even a stranger. So that's two. There's communal sharing and authority ranking. But uh, another way in which we deal with each other is by what Fisk calls equality matching. That's a kind of uh, quid pro quo, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, a more transactional kind of relationship, which is different both from the intimacy of friends or a family and from the uh, hierarchy of, uh, of a dominant relationship. Now, if you keep in mind that we are uh, very mindful of what kind of relationship we have with someone else, uh, it determines the way in which resources are allocated. When it comes to a friend, since no one keeps track, you could, you know, you could go over to your, your boyfriend or girlfriend and you know, help yourself to a shrimp off their plate, uh, but you wouldn't go to your academic advisor or your boss and help yourself to a shrimp off their plate or a stranger because you don't have that communal relationship. At the end of a dinner party, for example, when you're with friends, you wouldn't you know, pull out your wallet and offer to pay for the, the host for the meal. I mean, in in some ways, that seems like a logical, nice thing to do, but it would kind of shatter the mood. It would would, uh, be a deeply, deeply weird thing to do. And people are always conscious of what kind of relationship they have and mindful of the boundaries, even though sometimes we have to do something that violates the rules of the relationship in force, and everyone knows that that can be fraught. For example, if a friend Uh, sells his car to another friend. Everyone knows that that's kind of touchy, that it can, as they say, put a strain on the friendship, and that's why people are advised not to do business with their friends. Conversely, uh, just as you wouldn't pay a friend for a, a, a nice meal at the end of a dinner party, Uh, you wouldn't say to the owner of a restaurant oh we really enjoyed ourselves we'd love to have you back uh, one one of these days then they might call the the police on you for skipping out on, on the bill so we're always mindful of this and a violation of the relationship that's currently in force when uh one person assumes one relationship and the other assumes another is informally policed in our social world not by uh, handcuffs and tickets and jail sentences and fines, but by emotions. In particular, by our self-conscious emotions like embarrassment and shame and guilt and uh, sometimes uh, shock and and, uh, outrage. And it's in avoiding those negative emotions signaling a relationship mismatch that you get the dynamics that make, say, offering a bribe to a maitre d' kind of like offering a bribe to a police officer. Why? Well, the maitre d' in a, in a uh, restaurant is kind of in control. He's the, uh, or she is the authority. He seats people when and where they choose. When you offer a maitre D a a bribe, uh, it's challenging that relationship. It's saying, uh, you can be bought. You and I are, are striking a business deal. And that's, uh, that's kind of insulting to the maitre d'. And in fact, a lot of people say, in that c- circumstance, they can imagine themselves using uh, innuendo rather than blurting it out because they think that the maitre d' would be ins- offended or insulted by a, a naked bribe. That's why why uh, you veil it. And as with the police officer, by having a vague uh, hint of a bribe that a dishonest maitre d' can kind of sniff out and accept if he wants, and an honest maitre d' could choose to let pass, you get the advantages of tendering a Uh, naked bribe without the disadvantages of offering one to uh, the kind of maitre d' that uh, would uh, not uh, accept it, would not be willing to transition to a transactional relationship, and would insist on maintaining uh, dominance. And uh, the other circumstances in which we resort to uh, innuendo and doublespeak also involve different relationship mismatches, and can lead to the kinds of negative sanctions of emotions of shock and outrage, such as, say, a a supervisor soliciting sex from an employee, which can give rise at the very worst to acute discomfort and, or worse still, to shock and uh, anger. By keeping it vague, both parties can decide whether they want to consummate the offer without challenging the relationship that's currently uh, in force.